You know, some people think that human speech is so important that it's actually a matter of life and death. A judge speaks a few words, handing down a sentence, and a prisoner is shackled and carted off to death row. Social media, a post on social media spreads a little gossip, and someone's reputation is destroyed. And where does a person even go to get their reputation back? Uh, Someone else makes a statement online, and a person's career is ruined. An atheist professor belittles Christianity in his college lectures, and a young collegiate's faith is destroyed. A respected teacher comments on human sexuality, and the instructed begin to question their own gender. Never underestimate the power of words. Did you know that for every word that was recorded in Adolf Hitler's autobiographical manifesto, Mein Kampf, 125 people died in the war that resulted from that book's publication in World War II. Proverbs 18 verse 21 says, the tongue has the power of life and death. And James, the brother of Jesus, called the tongue a consuming fire, a deadly poison. Listen to what he said in James chapter 3 verses 5 through 8. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and it is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Yes, speech is so powerful that it is a matter of life and death as Proverbs teaches. In a nutshell, Proverbs has a number of important lessons for us on human speech. And as I've already mentioned, there's the dark side of speech that some would call the destructive evil use of speech. And I've also alluded to that there can be a good side to human speech, a life-giving side. But what I haven't shared thus far is that the ability to speak, to communicate, is a gift from God. And God is the one, might I say, the only one who can guide us to use our speech for good. Proverbs 16 verse, 20, 16 verse 1 says, To humans belongs the plans of the heart, but from the Lord comes the proper answer of the tongue. God is the one who can teach us to use our tongues appropriately. As James said, no human being can tame the tongue, but God can. God can tame our tongues. Professor Steve Pinker says, the ability to speak comes so naturally to the human race that we are for, you know, apt to forget what a miracle it truly is. And for Christians, we believe that we are the imago Dei, that we have been created in the image of of God. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 through verse 30, we read, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. 
In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves along the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. We're created as human beings, male and female, in God's likeness, in God's image. And did you notice here who's speaking in the text? God is speaking. God is saying things. God spoke his creation into being. Now we move to chapter 2, verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat of any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. The Lord God said, it's not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. God takes Adam to the zoo. He names every single animal there, but there's no suitable helper there. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, and while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman out of the rib that he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. And the man said, Woohoo! In the Hebrew language, it does. It's, ex- it's extremely expressive. Yeehaw! I mean, he's really excited. This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She'll be called woman, for she was taken out of man. And that is why a man leaves his father and mother, and he's united to his wife. And the two become one flesh. Do you notice here that Adam is now speaking? Adam is the one who names all the animals. And then when finally he has this helpmate, you know, to to the one who is right alongside him, Eve comes, woohoo, he's excited, and he's expressing that, and he's speaking. So God spoke, the creation happened, we're made in the likeness and image of God, all of a sudden now Adam is speaking. Then we come to chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals in the, that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from the tree in the garden? So now the serpent, the evil one, is also speaking. And then, verse 2, the woman said to the serpent, and she responds. So now Eve is speaking. Everybody's speaking here in the text. See, the miracle of speech that gets passed from generation to generation is a gift from God. It's a miraculous gift from God's creation, being created in the image of God who speaks, who communicates. And God is also the one who can guide us to use our words wisely. King David shows us this in his important prayer that he offered in Psalm chapter 141 and verse 3. He said this, set a guard over my mouth, Lord. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Have you ever prayed a prayer like that? God, you know, protect my mouth. God, keep me from saying something here I'm truly going to regret. God, give me the, you know, what to say and, and protect and guard my tongue. 
His son Solomon said in Proverbs chapter 10, verse 32, that the lips of the righteous know what finds favor, but the mouth of the wicked only what is perverse. The righteous are those who are in right standing before God. These are the ones who have placed their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and they've devoted their lives to growing closer to God. So they learn from God, and then they know what is the right thing to say in the moment, and then they experience the favor of God and the favor of people as a result of that. In Proverbs 15, verse 23, it talks about these people that are like this, these righteous. And it says, the righteous and wise, they find joy in giving an apt reply. And how good is a timely word? Giving that appropriate response, that timely word. Older translations used to say, how good is a word in due season? That apt word. Then it goes on here in verse 28 to tell us the heart of the righteous weighs its answers. In other words, they don't just blurt things out right away. They think about them. Will this, you know, how will this come across? Will this injure a person or will it help a person? Will this encourage them if I say this or will this discourage them? Will it build them up or will it tear them down? There is a weighing out of before something is said. But it goes on to say in that verse, but the mouth of the wicked gushes evil because there truly is beauty and wisdom in words that are carefully chosen again in chapter 10 in proverbs verse 11 it says the mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life it's a source of life it's like fresh shoots off a plant that have so much promise of new growth growth and new fruit and new life and verse 13 in chapter 10 goes on to say this wisdom is found on the lips of the discerning and, and we know that wisdom from the book of Proverbs is, comes from the fear of the Lord. That's the beginning of wisdom. But people who fear the Lord, they are carefully processing and they discern what's going on and then they display wisdom every time they speak. Verse 20 in the same chapter says the tongue of the righteous is choice silver. It's valuable. It's extremely valuable. And verse 21 says, the lips of the righteous nourish many. Many people are enriched by righteous people's uh, speech, what they say. They are encouraged, they're uplifted, they're strengthened. They are given direction, they gain understanding and insight. In Proverbs 15 verse 1, very familiar to many of us, a gentle word turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. A person who can keep their wits, who can keep their cool, even in the midst of some horrendous circumstances, who can speak lovingly and truthfully with grace, they have this amazing capacity to ward off a lot of conflict. But those who bow up every time, you know, anytime they're slighted or one of their loved ones are slighted, they're going to come right back at the perpetrator with some kind of harsh language. What they do is inflame conflict. Verse 2 in chapter 15 goes on to say, the tongue of the wise, uh, adorn, the tongue of the wise adorns knowledge. In other words, their humility, their learning, their understanding, and their overall wisdom is very evident for all to see. It's like jewelry that you can see because, because they live it. They practice it. It adorns their lives. Proverbs 16 verse 23 says, the hearts of the wise make their mouths prudent and their lips promote instruction. The person who devotes themselves to knowing God through his word trains their mouth to actually speak and then they act appropriately. Now, have you ever heard the uh, old saying that empty barrels make the most noise? 
Take a galvanized garbage can with a lid on it sometime and pound on it a little bit. It just echoes. It makes so much noise. And my experience in life and in ministry is those who talk the most usually have the least to say. Those who are not growing in their faith end up with untrained mouths. And they spout off when they should remain quiet. And they say things many times that are clearly inappropriate. You know, in my book, People Who Are Walking in Step with the Holy Spirit and Growing in Their Faith Through God's Word are, are always part of the solution. They're, they're just never part of the problem. And with all that said, let's concentrate now in our remaining time together this morning on our verse for today. Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 11, a message that I have called, Love and Open Doors. And the one who loves a pure heart and who speaks with grace will have a king for a friend. This kind of love is love for the truth. It's love for God's wisdom. It's love for God. It's love for others. And that love will open doors for us even among some significant and prominent people and places. You know, pure heart is one that is free of hatred. It's free of bitterness, free of greed, free of pride, free of selfishness, free of hypocrisy and prejudice. And such hearts will speak graciously using compassionate, loving words. And such people are loving. They're accepting. They're courteous. They're forgiving. They're gentle. They're kind. And they're merciful. And the combination of purity and grace is truly rare. It is so rare, Proverbs says here, that even nobility are drawn to it. They're drawn to people of purity and of grace. And some will argue that graciousness is the most beautiful character trait of them all. A gracious person is often described as being both beautiful and charming, having a dignity about them, but still being close and loving at the same time. Such people are delightful, they're pleasant, and they are winsome. And it's truly one of life's rare treasures to know people like this. They're often few and far between. They have good reputations and they warm your soul with their presence. And they also create a desire in you to want to spend more time with them. And by the way, step one to being a gracious person is to forget about yourself. Because graciousness is what others think about you. It's not what you think about yourself. And interestingly, there's plenty of unpleasant people out there who kind of think that they are being gracious. In other words, they have too high of an opinion of themselves. Meanwhile, the most gracious people out there that you're ever going to meet uh, take the opposite track in life. They think of themselves as being unpleasant to others. So they're constantly looking for ways to be gracious. The truth be told is that arrogance is the key contributor to many unpleasant people in this world. And humility is what comprises the lifestyle of the gracious. Now friends, if you want to advance your career, put this proverb into practice. Have no hidden agendas. In fact, have no agendas at all. And do not buddy up to others just so you can get something from them. Be real. Be transparent. Be honest. Be forthright and trustworthy. Leaders do not need people around them who will simply tell them what they want to hear. They do not need those close to them who are trying to woo them so they can get what they want. They need, leaders need gracious truth tellers in their lives who can help them make good decisions and to choose the right course of action. Parents, 
you're also not off the hook here. Teach your children to be gracious. Instead of wasting all of your family time on profitless gadgets and technology and social media and sports and leisure and recreation and even trying to connect them with the movers and the shakers of this world, the who's who, instead of that, teach them this character trait of graciousness that will one day bless their futures. It'll bless their marriages. It'll bless their family lives and your family life. It'll bless their relationships and their employer, their neighborhoods, their churches. And ultimately, it will bless their God. Teaching them and modeling graciousness for them will do more for their futures than just about anything that you can do for them. Interestingly here, the word for friend of the king is the word in the Hebrew language for shepherd, for caring, for, for, for leading, for helping, for providing for, for pastoring. It also can mean to dine. It actually literally means grazing together. In other words, there's this close fellowship. And thus, the NIV's choice of the word friend to try and encapsulate what this is saying. And you know, true friends will always tell us the truth. And they will do it graciously because that's what's best for us. That's what's best for their friend. And that's why they're doing it. And even if the news happens to be bad for us. Now, early on in my career here, it was over three decades ago, uh, this happened in our community, not in our church. But I observed some people who lost lifelong friends because their friends did not tell them bad news that they knew about what was going on in their family. How could a friend do that to me? Not tell me that this was going on. And they thought they were protecting and helping their friend, but they weren't. They actually injured and hurt their friend, and they ended up losing their friends because a friend would never do that. They would tell you the truth graciously because they know you need to know that to move forward and make the appropriate decisions you need to make. By the way, can you define graciousness? Can your spouse define graciousness? Can your children and your grandchildren define it? Is it something that's evident in your life? Is it evident in your family? Do you see graciousness on display between your children and, your, and even in your grandchildren? Do you see that? Do you apply graciousness in your everyday life when you encounter various people and situations where it's needed? Do you practice it when you attend worship services? or Bible studies, or your small group. You know, I heard something very troubling this week, some real troubling news, that some people are not worshiping with us regularly now, and they're watching our services online because every time they come to church, they keep encountering people who simply want to talk about politics. Now, I don't experience that much in the church, so I'm not completely uh, aware of all of that. But I want to say that's not being gracious you know, because these people can't read a room. They can't, re they don't realize that people come to church to worship God. They come to church for fellowship and they don't come to church to talk politics. The main concern here is not about making America great again. Yes, there are trying times that we're in right now and we're all stressed by the incredible inflation that's going on. Last month in the month of May, 8.6% increase in inflation. I think it's the highest in nearly a century. But folks, politics is not the answer. And it's not what people come here searching for. Jesus is the answer. And I really, really, really wish 
people would talk more about Jesus than they do about politics. And just know the, the, this, political conversations are anything but gracious. Jesus said in Luke 6:45 that the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. If your heart's full of anger, guess what's going to come out? Anger's going to come out. If it's greed, guess what's going to pour out? Statements that are greedy. If a person is hurt and they're a victim, it's certainly going to bubble out. If it's hatred in someone's heart, there's going to be hate-filled speech. Jesus said an evil person shares evil things out of the evil that is stored up in their hearts. Well, the opposite is also true here. If the heart is full of love, love's going to come out. If it's full of grace, grace is going to be on display. If it's compassion, that compassion's going to find its way out. If it's wisdom, wisdom's going to get shared. If it's respect, respect is going to be given. If it's honor, people are going to be uplifted and honored. Jesus said that a good person shares good things out of the good that is stored up in their heart. Friends, if a person's heart is cheerful, if it's contented, if it's forgiving, if it's kind and thankful, it will produce gracious thoughts and words. You know, the Apostle Paul wrote in Colossians chapter 4, verse 6, let your conversations always be full of grace. That's the first part here. And he didn't say that those conversations are necessarily going to be easy. He didn't say that those conversations wouldn't be costly to us. Didn't say that they wouldn't even be, that they wouldn't, wouldn't be challenging to us at all. What he did say was, though, if you notice the last part, is that you will know how to answer everyone. In other words, you'll be in the best possible position, the best possible posture to help others out, as well as to be able to respond to whatever questions they may have when you use gracious words. So let me ask you, when do you tend to struggle with being gracious? And what kind of circumstances? Is it speech from others that tends to pull you away from being gracious? Is it harsh language? Is it vulgar speech? Is it family members who just know how to push your buttons? Is it critical words? Is it just ignorance? When people are just ignorant about something? Is it when they have dismissive tones? Like you're, you don't really matter? What is it? When are the, you the least likely to be gracious? Is it when you're criticized, you're looked down upon, you're overlooked for a promotion? When your opinions or your ideas don't seem to matter? And what about the other side of the coin? When are you most likely to be gracious? Is it when you're with somebody who really has something to offer you? Something that you can get from them and gain in your life? Is that when you're so nice and so gracious and so careful with what you say and how you say things? Or are you less likely to be gracious when you're with people who have absolutely nothing to give to you? Nothing to advance your life or your career or your family or nothing like that? Nothing to bring to the table? I can't answer any of these questions for you today. Only you can. But what I do know, however, is that if Christians were more gracious in their speech and in their actions, that things would be a lot better in their lives. Their marriages would be better. Their families and their home life would be better. Things in their communities would be better. Their churches would be better. Their schools and their teams and their places of employment, all of them would experience that improvement. And I also know, especially in the culture that we're in right now, that if Christians were more gracious in their speech and in their conduct, that more people would be attracted 
to the Christian faith. You know, in Luke chapter 4, verse 22, we read about Jesus, that all spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Oh, but pastor, it's so tough to be nice to people out there. We live in such a hostile world. In fact, some Christians are saying that we need to get tougher, that we need to verbally take up our words and fight against the opposition. And in all this opposition and hostility to the Christian faith and to our values and our way of life, we need to use our words to speak out against that. Yes, I hear you. But did you know that within the hour of this very verse that is shared here, Jesus was teaching in the synagogue and some people got so upset that they wanted to toss him off a cliff. But God miraculously allowed Jesus to walk through the crowd because his time hadn't come. But here's what I want you to get. Even in a hostile world, and Jesus was living in a hostile world, it cost him his life. Our Lord and Savior Jesus, even in the hostile world, had a pure heart. And gracious words came from his lips. You know, if we bear the name Christian, Christ in me, then it behooves us to honor our Savior and Lord and defend the Christian faith by having a clean heart and speaking gracious words. And if we do that, we won't just be friends with any old king. We will be close friends with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Let's pray together. God, our Father, thank you so much for this month and a half that we've been able to spend in the book of Proverbs, looking at what love and wisdom uh, have to say and how love is such an important part of wisdom. And today, God, you have taught us about clean hearts, not being bitter and angry and and, and heart, you know, unforgiving and, and, and just holding all of that. And Lord, uh, if we're not that way, we can be better equipped to share gracious, kind, compassionate words that need to be shared. We can be pleasant people to be around. In fact, uh, so winsome that even people in prominent positions are attracted to people like that. God, we know that your word is true. We know, God, that your word can make a difference. It made a difference in Jesus' world. Started a faith that swept all around the world because Jesus spoke gracious, gracious words. And I pray, God, for your church in these trying times that we're living in that we would take to heart what we've learned here today and honor you, God, uh, by having gracious lips. words come from our lips. And we pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen.